now. Let's pretend that we will not all die. Another coping mechanism that is popular is, well, I think I'm pretty good, so if there is something after this, I'm sure that I will receive it for being a relatively good person. And depending on who is making the claim, the standard of good and evil is so relative and bent toward that individual that it becomes almost a meaningless statement nevertheless. But that's also extremely popular in our culture today. There's others, other coping mechanisms uh, in our culture today are to say, well, when I die, I will no longer exist. And this is actually increasing in popularity in our world. But I won't know that I don't exist, so I don't care. And so I'm going to live for today, and I'm not going to worry about what happens after I die because I will then be at peace. I will then be at rest because I won't exist. And that's what the so-called atheists would want us to believe, that we're all just uh, a jumble together of molecules and atoms that somehow came together into these beautiful, uh, intricate bodies and once they die we're done that's not what the bible says and so what we've been trying to do is to prepare ourselves for the day of our death when when we are just picture for a moment that you are laying in bed if god gives you that blessing of knowing that the end is near if you are laying in your bed and you know this is your last day and as you're getting closer to the end of your last day, what is going through your mind? Are you thinking, well, I think I've been good enough, so I hope that if there is something, I'll go up into heaven? Or, or are you thinking, well, it doesn't matter, I don't exist, or I won't exist, so everything will have been for naught anyway? Or, and this has been the hope of this sermon series, will you look death straight in the face? And say to death, you do not have the last word over me. Though I will die today, the Lord Jesus Christ will raise my body from the dead, indestructible, immortal, imperishable, and I will live in this body that you, O death, are trying to claim today. And that's the hope, that that's what each one of us will say when we approach our very last moments. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? For I have a Savior who's paid for my sin by death, and he has risen from the dead, and so shall I. That's a whole different kind of hope. Let's pray. Oh, God, I pray for our church. These are not abstract ideas. Every one of us, unless you send the Lord Jesus in this generation, will die. I pray that the time that we have spent examining your promise of resurrection from the dead will strengthen us on that day so that we will not be afraid but we will face death with certain confidence that life will triumph over death, that our bodies will rise, be conformed to the glorious body 
of our Lord, Savior, and King, Jesus, the Messiah. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is not yet ready to believe in the resurrection. I I pray for anyone here who has not yet given their sin to Christ, that they might be found among the righteous at the time of resurrection. Oh God, do a mighty work. I pray that you would make us a church that is filled with saved people looking forward to the resurrection. And now as we take a look at what if this isn't true, I pray that you would see how precious it is that it is true. Please glorify yourself through the preaching of resurrection. The name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. So last week, we actually finished the chapter, and you might have thought, well, we're done, we're done. But we had skipped over five verses if you go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 29 to 34, and I think you'll see why. We came to Easter, and we really wanted to preach 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58 at Easter, which talks all about, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And that's what we looked at at Easter, and then we carried forward, and we had the uh, ice storm, uh, which uh, put us back a week. So now we're going to double back and take a look at these verses, and they actually fit just fine at the end of this sermon series. Because what Paul does in the middle of the chapter is he pauses. He, he has so far, in context, established that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and his body was buried, and his body came back to life. And we know that because all of the people that witnessed him in his resurrected glory. And, and then he linked our own resurrection to that. And he said, look, if Jesus Christ died and rose again, then how could you possibly say that we're going to die and go to heaven? The pattern of of Jesus Christ is the pattern for all those who belong to Christ. And so he says the ultimate hope of the Christian is resurrection from the dead. The bodies that are put in the ground will come out of the ground when the Lord returns and commands them to do so. Then now he says, so what if that's not true? And so at the end of our series, it's still a good question. What if everything that we've been talking about for two months isn't true? What if there is no resurrection from the dead? What if the dead are not raised? Then what? Then what of our faith? Then what of our hope? Then what of the things that we hold so dear as believers? In today's passage, Paul raises three objections to the thinking that we will not be resurrected. Let me just give them to you in order. If the dead are not raised, why get baptized on behalf of the dead? What in the world does that mean? Well, we're going to look at it. Secondly, if the dead are not raised, why risk your life? It's a good question. Third, if the dead are not raised, Why not live for pleasure? Why not live for today? Why not suck as much out of this world as you can? Live as high uh, in in pageantry and enjoying uh, all that the world has to offer now before you die. If the dead are not raised, that seems to make sense. So let's take a look at these three in order. And after we take a look at these three, we're going to just pray and pause, and then we're going to have a question and answer period 
uh, for anything about resurrection, any questions, anything that I haven't been clear on, you can ask. And I can't promise you that I'll have the answer, but we'll see what we can do. So number one, if the dead are not raised, why get baptized on behalf of the dead? Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29. Otherwise, meaning if the dead are not raised, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Now, this is a tough verse. <laughs> because, why? What, what's the most obvious thing about this verse? Uh, we don't baptize people on behalf of the dead, do we? So what does this mean? What is Paul saying? If the dead are not raised, why be baptized on behalf of the dead? Well, I can tell you that no one really knows. I've read a lot about this verse in preparation for this moment, and everyone begins their best effort by saying no one really knows. We don't really know what Paul was talking about. There, there's no, no way that we can be absolutely certain that we can nail down this verse. This is just one of those verses that we just have to say, I, I don't know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's not other verses in the Bible that can really help us to understand this because there's no other place in the Bible where we learn about being baptized on behalf of the dead so let me give you three options and, and there's more than this but these are the, the three most popular options I think the three best options and then I'll give you what I think but with the disclaimer that no one really knows but there is a point that we can draw out of this at the end which we can be certain on and this is what most all of the commentators agree on and so we'll get to where we agree but first of all let's just explore what might Paul mean when he says if the dead are not raised why get baptized on their behalf the first option is being baptized for the salvation of a dead person was a Corinthian practice that Paul did not endorse so Paul came to Cor Corinth and was preaching the gospel and people believed, but there were people that had died, loved ones that had died before Paul had preached the gospel. So they hadn't heard the gospel, which means they couldn't be baptized, which means they couldn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, which means that they had no hope of resurrection unto eternal life. And so what this one answer says is, well, because the Corinthians believed Paul's message and they didn't want their loved ones who died before they had received the gospel, they were saying, well, I'm just going to get baptized on behalf of my dead mother because I love her, so I'm going to ba be baptized in her place and that will save her. Now, what do we know about what I've just said? It's terrible theology. It's not good theology. We cannot do that. You, you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ yourself. Nobody can be baptized on your behalf after you die and you be saved. So then, could, is this possibly what Paul meant? Yes, because what Paul, Paul never endorses this. In fact, if you read the letter of 1 Corinthians, it's filled with things that they're doing that they should not be doing. So, so Paul then is, is not saying that's a good practice. He's, what he's doing, though, is he's pointing out the inconsistency. If you don't believe in resurrection from the dead, what does it matter if someone you loved had died? Because the hope is resurrection from the dead. So what you're doing, you're being baptized on behalf of someone in the hopes that they will join you in the resurrection. But if you're not raised from the dead, then what you're doing is a waste of time anyway. So that's option number one. 
Paul does not uh, endorse this bad theology, but he cites it to show the inconsistency in the Corinthians' own teaching. Uh, Option number two is that there is a believing Corinthian who died. And at the funeral, there was the preaching of the gospel. And loved ones of this Corinthian saint who had died, who had not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ until that moment, said, well, I want to be with my mom in the resurrection, so now I believe. So you're baptizing yourself because of the testimony of the loved one who had died. So that's option number two. Yeah, and we all know this, right? When, when we go to a Christian funeral, we preach the gospel with hopes that the unsaved there will hear the gospel and want to be saved because of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also because uh, they would like to see their loved one again. And so that's option number two, that being baptized on behalf of the dead is following after a believing loved one who had died in their faith so that you could live with them forever. And Paul says, well, that's meaningless anyway. If there's no resurrection from the dead, it doesn't matter if you both believe in something. If you're not going to be raised from the dead, it's meaningless anyway. Option number three is that the dead person being is the person being baptized. Why are you being baptized on behalf of the dead? In other words, when you are being baptized, what you are acknowledging when you go under the water and come out of the water is that you were dead in trespasses and sins before the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you come out of the water, you are declaring that you will live just as the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Now, This third option I tend to like the best, but it's because it's the only option that is good theology, really. So whether or not this is what Paul means, it doesn't matter. What's the point? What is is the point that Paul is trying to get? No matter, and, and you could make this point of all three options. Paul's point is this. No matter what being baptized on behalf of the dead means or doesn't mean, Baptism itself is always a symbol of death and resurrection. It's always a symbol that someone will die and come back to life. And so whatever Paul means, which we cannot know anyway, what Paul is actually drilling down to in the life of the Corinthian church is you practice baptism. Baptism is a symbol that points to resurrection. So if you don't If the dead are not raised and you don't believe in resurrection, don't be baptized. Baptism is a meaningless symbol without resurrection from the dead because the symbol of baptism is itself all about being raised from the dead. So that's the first thing. What if the dead are not raised? Well, why get baptized? So if you believe, and we do, that baptism is an important part of the life of the church, we might as well throw away the rite of baptism if we don't believe in resurrection from the dead. Because every time we baptize someone, what we are saying is this person, though they may die, they will be raised from the dead. Number two, if the dead are not raised, why risk your life? This is a tough one to preach in Canada. And I believe 
that we have a lot in common with the Corinthians on this point. And Paul's point is that it was Paul who was risking his life, not the Corinthians. How many of us are risking our life because we believe in resurrection? I don't know if any of us are. And so this is going to sting a little bit. But the point that Paul makes is extremely powerful. And it might motivate some of us to change the trajectory of our life. Now, what I don't want you to hear me saying is that in order to be a quote-unquote good Christian, you have to risk your life. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is how many of us have even meditated on the doctrine of resurrection enough that it might even be within the realm of possibilities for us to make a decision that comes along with some risk. And we're okay with that risk because we believe so deeply in resurrection. So you see the, the subtle but important distinction there? I am not saying if we are not risking our lives that we are necessarily bad Christians. I am saying, however, to our shame that we probably haven't even thought about it that much. And that is to our shame. That risking our life is not even an option for us because we haven't thought deeply enough about the fact that our resurrection is secure in Christ. Take a look at verses 30 to 32. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain, if humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? just take a look there at what Paul is saying. Why are we in danger every day? He doesn't say, why are you in danger every day? Paul is talking about himself and his companions who are on missionary journeys, putting themselves in harm's way, and they're saying, that would be a bad decision on my part if I did not believe that if at the end of that day I might be martyred for my witness, if I did not believe that the Lord Jesus Christ would raise me from the dead. He says, I protest by my pride in you. And what he's saying is, I took my hand in, uh, or my, my life into my own hands. I, I risked my life by sharing the gospel with you, Corinthians. I did not know when I showed up at your doorstep if you would kill me. But I came with you, or to you, with the gospel, nonetheless. So I protest, brothers, by my pride in you. I loved you. And that's what he means by I die every day. It's not that he's physically dying every day, but just as the day that he showed up in Corinth, not knowing how they would receive him, every day Paul went out into the world taking such risks that he did not know if somebody would kill him for sharing the gospel. I die every day. Every day I wake up knowing that today could be my last day because I'm going to share the gospel with somebody today. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 32, he says, what do I gain? What, what's, what, what, what would be the point if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? There's no record of Paul actually being thrown to wild beasts at Ephesus. So that's what this looks like it would mean, and it's possible that maybe he was, you know, at, for sport, 
But what this probably means, because there's no record of that, is that he's referring to the Ephesians themselves. And there was a great riot in Ephesus where he almost lost his life. And so he's referring to unsaved people as beasts. Sharing the gospel, Paul is saying, in certain contexts is like going into a ring with lions. You don't know if you're going to come out. And if you go into a ring with lions, you know that you're not coming out. So Paul says, why would I do that? And that's where this is tough for us, isn't it? How many of us have meditated on the gospel to the point where, you know what? Today might be my last day because of how I live for Christ. How many of us have quenched a call for overseas missions where it is more dangerous because we were afraid? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, if you've pushed that down. How many of us shrink back from sharing the gospel because we're afraid that we might make someone feel uncomfortable? Like, that's what's causing us to shrink back, right? I don't want to make that person feel uncomfortable. I'll, I'll admit it for myself. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. And Paul's saying, I'm going to knock on this door today, and I don't know if that person's going to kill me because I'm going to tell them that the Lord Jesus Christ died for their sins and came back to life, and they can live forever too. Uh, this, there's no way around this. Preaching this is hard in Canada. What about sharing the gospel with Muslims? I know of a man in this church that does that. Great risk to himself. But Paul says, it would be crazy, foolish, irresponsible for a husband or a father to put himself in that kind of a position if he did not believe in resurrection from the dead for himself and his wife and his children resurrection is essential for boldness in a world that hates christ jim elliott famous missionary who martyred was martyred on the mission field summed up the very same sentiments when he said and this is a famous quote that you already know he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What, is, what does he give that he cannot keep? Life in this body. We're all going to die anyway. It's no fool for someone to die prematurely. You can't keep your life anyway in order to gain what he cannot lose. What can't you lose? Resurrection from the dead in indestructible, imperishable bodies that will live forever. If you don't believe in bodily resurrection, risking your life for the gospel is insanely foolish. Number three. If the dead are not raised, why not live for pleasure? Oh, this is another hard one in Canada. How many of us are living for pleasure? Is there anyone among us that is not living for pleasure? I am. Now, we need to balance this. We're not, we're not ca called to asceticism. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, right? We've already gone over that this year. 
God created all things for our good to be enjoyed, provided we receive it with thanksgiving. So, so use your five senses. Enjoy your five senses. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He, he's, he's talking about giving all of your attention to worldly endeavors, finding your identity and all of your fulfillment, not in Christ, not in the gospel, not in the kingdom of God, but in this world. This is a call against worldliness. And what we're going to see here is Paul really goes after the Corinthians. And he says, this is exactly what you're doing. And if you know anything about the the whole book of 1 Corinthians, they were just pleasure-seeking. Unless there is a resurrection, the most that we can hope for is some momentary pleasure today. So let's eat and get fat. Let's drink and be merry. Let's be selfish. Get as much out of the world that we can. Let's try and climb whatever ladder it is that's before us. Let's be appetite-driven. Let's be me first and me only kind of people because at the end it's all gone. You, You know that saying, right? He who dies with the most toys wins. That's this kind of thinking. That's exactly what our culture tells us we should be doing. It's just really hard to fight against us to say, you know, we ought to enjoy, use all five senses to enjoy God's good creation. However, however, our ultimate pleasure is in Christ. And therefore, our, se- our five senses are subservient to our personal and familial and corporate mission to bear witness for Christ in the world. But Paul acknowledges, if we're not going to be raised from the dead, then subscribe to the motto that he who dies with the most toys wins. What we have to realize is that what we do in the body has eternal repercussions. I want to just read to you, just listen. This was really hard. I mean, I could have gone 50 minutes here, which ties in so well. But I just want to read it to you and just point out a couple of things. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to the end of the chapter. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to you, to the example you have in us. So Paul's saying, I want you to imitate me. And what was Paul doing? He was risking his life. He put Christ first and he was on mission every day. And so he's saying, follow my example. Somebody put a nice meal before Paul, he'd eat it and he would enjoy it. He enjoyed the goodness of creation. But he said, follow me. Make, make a mission for Christ your priority in life. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I would just underline they, There are many who are not imitating Paul. They are putting themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. And contextually, I wonder if he's talking about Christians or at least so-called Christians. Maybe. Verse 19, what does it mean to walk as an enemy of the cross of Christ? That's, that's our question right here. What does it mean to walk as an enemy of the cross of Christ? Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Worldliness. Those who are trapped in worldliness 
who don't have uh, a bigger view of reality, if, if this life is all there is and this world is all there is, and there are many Christians operating under this paradigm, they get their get-out-of-hell-free card, but then they continue living just like their atheist neighbors or their secular neighbors, as if there is no resurrection from the dead, and as if this world is all there is. And he says, if you live that way, you are walking as an enemy of the cross of Christ because Christ purchased us for greater things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await, we are waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, And why are we waiting for him? We're waiting for his return, for the day when he comes back for us, who will, now listen to this, transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There's the key point there. Don't be worldly. What's the anecdote to worldliness and materialism? Think about the resurrection. Uh, don't, don't think as if this world is all there is. Don't make all of your decisions based on the 60, 70, or 80 years that you have here. Make your decisions based on the infinite number of years that you will live in your body. Because the decisions you make now have eternal repercussions for what your bodily existence will be like. And if you put yourself as an enemy of the cross of Christ, You will not be raised unto eternal glory with the righteous, even if you call yourself a Christian. That's hard. Paul's point is this, then. The things we do in the body now have eternal repercussions. If you don't believe in bodily resurrection, if the dead are not raised, living a life worthy of the upward call, that's what Paul calls this earlier in the chapter of Philippians, is a waste of time. People that don't understand our paradigm will look at your decisions and say, you're wasting your life. And you could say, I'm not wasting my life. I'm investing wisely an infinite number of years in my resurrected body. So fortunately, we know that bodily resurrection is a fact that will be accomplished. And so we end our time before the Q&A looking at verses 33 and 34. Paul says, don't be deceived. Believe in the bodily resurrection. Bad company ruins good morals. Don't hang around with people who don't prize and cherish the promise of forgiveness and resurrection from the dead. Because people who don't prize and cherish the doctrine of the resurrection will be always inclined to this worldliness, short-sightedness, They won't be risk-takers. They'll be indulging in this world only. So bad company ruins good morals. Hang out with people that are just longing for the return of Christ, looking for the resurrection of their bodies because they will have priorities that enable them to make decisions that are worthy of the upward call. You've got to hang around with people like that so the decisions that you make don't seem foolish. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. 
Who? Un- Non-Christians? People outside of the church? Paul's very clear. No, I'm saying this to your shame. This is very pointed. Paul points this right in on the Corinthians. They can't squirm out of this. He's saying, I'm not talking about the unbelieving Corinthians in your city. I'm saying there are people in your church, the Corinthian church, who either don't believe in the resurrection or don't cherish it. If you hang out with them, you're just going to be living life as if in a drunken stupor. And I say this to your shame. It's challenging. This is a call for us then to prize the doctrine of resurrection above all else and to orientate our lives not on retirement. It's not wrong to plan for retirement in this life. I, don't get me wrong. But that has to be a secondary, a subservient goal for the trajectory of your life. Our priority always must be to live a life worthy of the upward call in Christ. What is that upward call? When Christ returns, he's going to call some up from the grave to meet him in the sky. So let's live lives waiting for that moment. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, help us. Help us to treasure and cherish the doctrine of resurrection and to build our lives around it. So that every time we baptize someone here, we declare together that we will be raised from the dead. That we will be willing to take risks for the sake of the gospel. And we won't be trapped in worldliness, but we will live lives that keep the eternal future ever before us. Oh, Spirit, empower us to live this way. In Christ's name, amen.